Welcome to the Fail Fast Podcast. I am Quinn Amorm, and today we have a successful public speaker, a certified transformational coach, and the author of The Power of Faith-Driven Success. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Isabel Hunt. Hey, how are you, Isabel? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great, besides sweating a little bit. It's humid and hot again. <laughs> oh, 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 how is it over there? Ah, uh, 90. We have over 90 degrees right wow. now. Um, humid. It's more the humidity. We have like 70% humidity. <laughs> so pretty much, I guess, almost the same as here. Yeah, oh, yeah it's that heat wave this year. <laughs> yeah, and I, I turned off the fan so I wouldn't interfere with the podcast. So when I get, <laughs> I'll <laughs> hold it. <laughs> so I noticed that you had a dream at the age of 12, and it was to go to to the US. Mm -hmm. How real was that dream and what was it this all about? Okay. Yeah. So for, from very young age, I always thought I was the black sheep. I don't really belong here. For some reason, I don't think I was even born here, <laughs> um, which wasn't true. I was born in, in Germany. Mm -hmm. So for those who didn't know, I'm originally from Germany. And when I was 12, that was right after the wall came down that separated East and West Germany. And my dad was able to finally get his degree in social work. And so I started studying with him. I was so just, um, it, it was so amazing to me to learn about the human behavior already at this very young age. And so I started kind of studying sociology, psychology with him. And one night I went to bed after I read something about the human mind and I can't even quite remember what it was about. I mean, it's been over 20 years, but um, I went to bed and like every child you go to bed, right? Thinking tomorrow I just go to school and I'm going to finish high school and then I'm go to college and have a family, get married, have a job, and then eventually retire. All this really fun stuff that what your parents do as well. But the next morning I woke up and I was kind of sweating, but more in excitement. I still remember it like it was yesterday. I woke up. And I remember that I watched myself speaking on stage in that dream. <clears throat> I was speaking on stage, but I couldn't, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I couldn't understand um, what I was saying. I just realized from an emotional level that I was happy, that I was meant to be here. And then I watched and then I looked around and I saw a couple thousand people that were staring at me on stage. So I was just watching. I was the, the audience. I was part of the audience myself. And at first I was like, who is this person? But because I was still young, I was like, that is me, but it looks different. And so I kind of tossed this dream aside. I just knew at that point, something is going to be different for me. And something is going to not go the way that everyone thinks life is supposed to go, the normal path. But I kind of tossed it away, but it still kept with me in, my, in the back of my mind the whole time. And so subconsciously, I was moving towards that dream, but I still couldn't figure out what that exactly meant until one day that we had missionaries come to our church from the Bible school in South Germany. And they came to our church and one of them stayed with us for those couple of days. And he was from the U.S., and when I heard him speak for the first time, I knew that this was what I was speaking on stage. It was the same accent. It was because we learned British English in Germany. Uh, so it was the same American accent. And I just knew when I looked at him and when I heard him speak that this was what the dream was about. 
And so I knew eventually I would have to move to the U.S. for whatever reason. And over the years, I always heard you have to move to the U.S. for one reason. If you want to start a movement, you have to go to the U.S. because everyone knows what's going on in the U.S., just nobody knows in the U.S. what's going on outside of that. But everyone <laughs> else knows what's going on in the U.S. So if you want to start something big, you have to move to the U.S. And then at, at that young age, you set this goal of going to the U.S. And how long did it take you after that to actually do it? Not that long. When I graduated from high school, somehow this opportunity showed up that I could go as an au pair, as a nanny, to the U.S. at least for a year just to see how I like it, what is, because I hated English in school. Like, I really sucked at it. I didn't even think I would survive. I'm not a language person per se. I just didn't want to deal with it really. But I thought, well, I don't want to go right to college. Let's just try it and see how it works. A friend of mine, she went with me. We were lucky enough that we were located in the same area. And so I didn't feel as alone. So I went to DC, Washington, DC, uh, to work for a family right there, quite high level family, which well, was quite the experience. I mean, I was 18, didn't know the language. Of course, when you watch a two and a four-year-old or a four and a six-year-old, I think that's how old they were, they play with you when you don't speak the language. <laughs> so that wasn't quite the greatest experience. But when I got there, you know the feeling when you make a choice and you just do it and you, you have this really strong yes on your chest. It's like it's coming from your heart and you know exactly that this is what it's supposed to be like. This is where you're at home. That's what I felt, even though the circumstances weren't the greatest, but I knew this is where I was supposed to be and where I was supposed to go. And from that time, I was 18, 19, um, I knew that somehow I need to make it happen to come back and to be able to stay. And did you come absolutely by yourself? Just you? Yes. Um, when I was 18, I came here by myself anyways. Um, it was just an exchange program. But then I went back to Germany. I studied um, sociology, psychology back in Germany. Okay, I started out with economics and that was already the first failure right there. Um, they kicked me out after two years because well, I thought in my mind to fulfill on my dream, I have to study something that resonates with the market, with the job market. For, so for me to get a job, I have to study international economics, blah, blah, blah. Well, who knew that I really do not like math. I really do not like accounting. That's why I have hired someone to do that for me. <laughs> um, and it was just downhill from there, from depression to anxiety, panic attacks, because I knew I wasn't in alignment with what I was called to do. And so I got kicked out. But then I started over with sociology and psychology, and I kept most of the classes in English. So I was able to continue to learn the language, to implement what I've learned, because with that mindset of I'm going to end up in the U.S., right? Um, and then when I was 26, they changed the law. So anyone who already was here in the States on an au pair visa was able to come back to do another year or two if there were at least two years in between that you were back in your home country. Mm -hmm. And so I was 26 and I came back. I worked for a family in New York that didn't work very well. Uh, then I moved to San Francisco that didn't work very well either. <laughs> and I got very frustrated and very disappointed and very tired and exhausted. And I was like, okay, God, I am 27 years old at this point. I had no real job yet. I don't even know what I'm doing with my degree. I still have to pay my student loans back. 
Um, I didn't have a family. I didn't know where I was supposed to live. I didn't have a home. I didn't have any money. So I was like, okay, I'm 27 and I already failed at pretty much everything all my friends have already accomplished by that age. And, but there was this, this dream, like the more I wanted to quit, the more the dream showed up again over and over and over and over. I was like, okay, God, it's enough. It's enough. I don't know what to do with this crap. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. And all I heard was just let it go. You're trying so hard to make it work, to figure it out, to fix things that you don't let me, that you don't give me room to actually work for you. You're not in the flow of life. And um, the breaking point came when I went to, had to go to Canada. I almost got deported uh, because visa things didn't work out. I didn't have any money and all that fun stuff. Make it short. Of course, there's a lot more going on in between. But um, I had to go to Canada and the officers in that immigration office. Oh, if, if you haven't been there, uh, don't judge anyone who is immigrant. Good topic for in general with the situation right now. But um, you could feel the sweat. You can feel the anxiety in the room. You can feel how people barely breathe because they think with every time they breathe, an officer jumps up and throws him out. It's just like such a, a dense energy in this whole room because everyone is just anxious and not sure how their future is going to end up and, and where they're supposed to go. And for me, it was the same. I mean, they could have just booked a flight for me and say, you go back to Germany. You, there's no reason for you to be here. And you there's no point for us to, to let you back in. And that's when we, when I just sat there in prayer and in tears, literally. And I was like, okay, I don't know. They were so mean to me. Like they were really mean. They, the offices were really mean. Um, and that's when I heard that. Let it go. Just let it go and let me do the work just for once. Just for once. Be in the flow of life. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't have, I have nothing to lose. And I just go back. And that's when another officer came by and said, you know what, I'll take a look at your case. Let me take a look and see what we can do because I have a feeling there's more to you and I, I feel called to help you with this. So that definitely was very divinely orchestrated right there. And after three hours, he found some loopholes so I could get back to the U.S. and figure things out in terms of studying and um, all that fun stuff. And he said, just promise me one thing. You will not stay illegally. If you promise me that and I trust you, I will let you back in. So I promised him, I said, I couldn't be here illegally because the work that I'm called to do is on stage. And if I'm illegally on stage, they will get me very fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I did it all by myself. Um, my family's still in Germany. Okay. So I had a lot of similarities with you. For one, I did study accounting, economics, and financial calculation. <laughs> yep. Another thing in common is that I hate it. I cannot stand numbers. <laughs> I, I did it because at the time I thought it was super cool, and I asked my sister to register me. And uh, started at, uh, I guess, grade 10 in high school is when mm -hmm. you sign up for what you want to do when you grow up. And I asked my sister to do for me, and I said, something to do with numbers because I'm going to be a millionaire. That's what my thought was at the time. <laughs> yes. So throughout the next years, I hated my life. And it was a, an advanced, it was six hours a day, six hours a day of it, and five yep. days a week so, and for, for the next few, few years. And 
I, I can't, I don't do anything to do with accounting, economics, nothing. Yeah. So, because I can't stand it right now. Yeah. And another thing is I also know what those rooms look like at, at yes. customs, at, at the border. And I've been there as well. And uh, although I, I was, I was always legal because I was born in Canada. Right. So when I moved to Europe, I already had my Canadian birth certificate and I stayed in Europe 25 years and then coming back, everything was a bit easier, but still, you know, still still in those you, rooms, yeah. yeah, you can still feel the, the density and the, the density and, and the, just the sweat from people. You, you feel like you have to take a shower after that. That's how people sweat in there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, from there to, to getting on stage, you know, what were the next steps? Well, for one, I still needed to figure out a way to, to be able to stay here legally. Um, I knew, I mean, I got into master's program at IUPUI, which I couldn't start because I didn't have $60,000. That's how much a master's program for international students is. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. I could get an assistantship. That didn't work out. And at some point, people just asked me, like, what is it? Like, what if that doesn't? if that's not for you, what if counseling is not even for you? I was like, no, but this is really like, I'm all into psychology and sociology. This is what I want to do. And people just kept telling me like, I don't think that's for you. I don't know. I think that's why it doesn't work out. And I had a boyfriend then too. And I was like, okay, we, we haven't really known each other for even a year. And I don't even want to ask him about marriage and all that because I don't want to use it as an anchor to be able to stay here. If I get married, I want to get married for the right reasons. And but I heard God say, like, the whole time, like, find a solution. Like, do your research on how this would work. And so I did my research. And the day I had to leave or had to book a flight back to Germany because my time was up, the three months of the the um, waiver program was up, uh, he came home and he said, I can't have you book a flight. I, I really heard God speak to me. And he said to ask, like, I can't let you go. You are the one that I want to spend my life with. And... I looked at him like, okay. And he's like, I just don't want to do anything illegal. I don't know how this is supposed to work. I don't want to do anything that's, that's where they could get me on. I have a great job. I don't want to lose any of that. And so I was like, well, I did my research. <laughs> and I put it all out in front of him. And said, this is what we have to do. And he's like, all right. And back then I was also uh, more into painting. I don't do it as much now, but I paint, I, I sold as many paintings as the whole visa process cost us, which was about $5,000. And so I knew this was all divinely guided. And within two weeks we got married. And then within less than three months, I got my green card. So I was able to do my work. I got a job actually here to pay for some of the wedding stuff that we still wanted to do. And, um, and then with that marriage, I think my husband kind of woke up too to the more holistic lifestyle. He He's a project engineer, so he has a very engineering mind, very organized, very uh, analytical, and very strategic. He has all these strategies behind it that he never talks about. And, <laughs> and so um, it was quite interesting to to see him really opening up for what he wanted for me, what he saw for me is possible. And he said, I don't think you're going into counseling. You're going to have to do something bigger than that. It, it, it just keeps you in that box. I was like, well, I don't know what that's supposed to be. And then a friend of a friend reached out to me and he said, Hey, we have this cool coaching program in Chicago. Do you want to come with me and just take a look? And it's more of an ontological coaching, meaning spiritual coaching. I don't know if that would be for you, but you can take a look. And I said, okay, husband, if we go there, 
and I have to make this decision and spend another $15,000 on this education, you have to come with me and watch it and tell me that we can do that together because I have no money. And he came with me and he said, if that's not what you're going to do, then I don't know what you want to do with your life. And through this whole process of being coached the same way as I coach my clients, the spiritual awakening that I have uh, experienced so far has been incredible. I hated my coaches and sometimes I still do, but I also love them <laughs> because they really like they dig deep and it's like, ah, I don't want to deal with that. Leave me alone. Um, and that's when I started my entrepreneurial journey, especially as coach. It's kind of difficult. It's been six years now because everyone wants to be a coach somehow, some way, some, some way everyone thinks coaches are millionaires. Um, and so that was kind of difficult to find my niche. And so I had to do a lot of digging and had to go through a lot of valleys to understand who I was supposed to surf and what I'm really meant to do with that movement that I saw myself doing, creating, whatever, um, on stage. And um, the husband that you married is still, mm -hmm. you're still together today. Yes, we're okay. married. We have been married for eight years, going strong. He just now got his degree in naturopathy. So he is um, changing a little bit his field as well, mm -hmm. going more into the holistic field. He does it on the side because he loves his job. Um, but yes, we, we have dreams together. We work very well. He is, he is the opposite, but at the same time, very similar in the way we think and the way we talk about things and how we approach people. And yeah, it, it was definitely a match made in heaven. <laughs> awesome. I really like that. I'm, I'm a family guy and uh, like uh, we were already talked about how uh, we're, we're parents and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So very, very family oriented. Now I have a question for you about, Something that you see that most people don't, and you can see color in people. Mm -hmm. So before we get into what this is, how did you get to that? Did you train yourself or did it come to you naturally? I always had this ability, but I never knew what that actually meant. I just thought as a child, everyone does that. So for example, um, the number two shows up for me in the color yellow or a certain city shows up in a specific color or names or people, uh, I just think of them and a, a color shows up. It's almost like a, a splash in my head. I'm like, oh, it's turquoise or it's magenta or it's red. And I never thought of anything of it. I was just like, well, maybe probably everyone. But looking back, I, I now understand the significance of it. And just over the last two years, actually, um, so it's, it hasn't been that long that I really understood or started to understand the meaning of this gift. And I work with empaths. So that means highly, highly sensitive people who not just empathize with people, but literally become them. They're also very big visionaries. They see a lot of opportunity for the world and for a for the global society on a global level, but they, because they feel so much, they are always overstimulated. So they often are challenged with mental health issues like depression, anxiety, even autoimmune illnesses. And through this journey, I realized that some of what I experienced um, were in alignment with being an empath. And that's when my journey started in understanding what my 
color reading means. First, I thought, oh, maybe it's just auras. And I was like, nah, I don't really actually physically see it. It just shows up in my mind. So I don't think that's it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Maybe it's not, not anything. And then somehow someone said to me, well, your gift, have you ever taken a look at color psychology? What does each color mean? What is the frequency of each color? How are they related to your body? And so I started studying that. I was like, huh, well, let me test that on my clients. So I just tuned in with them and I said, I see this color and this is what it could mean. And they were like, huh, how do you know that? Like, this makes perfect sense. It totally resonates with me. It's like, huh, I don't know. It just happens. And so I dug a little deeper and I kept meditating on it. And I said, okay, how am I supposed to use that? And one night, and that was actually just last year, um, I was tired of my whole work. I went to bed. I was like, I want to read something that has nothing to do with my work. And suddenly on my Kindle showed up this book. It's called um, The Girl Who Could Read Hearts or The Girl Who Reads Hearts, somewhere along this line. Um, Sherry, um, May Sherry Masonic, she wrote the book and I'm actually friends with her today and her husband. They're both very awesome people. I read the book and I read it. I was like, oh, that's me. That's me. Wait, it's like, what? Is she writing a book about me and my whole life? That's so weird. And she literally talked about a little girl um, who was take, was looking at people and she could look at their hearts in color. Like, oh, there's this, this purple coming in. This is how they feel. And, and then suddenly there's some green around them especially on the heart level. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what it is. What I receive because I'm an empath, the, the energy, the vibration that I receive from people from anywhere in the world, really, it's, it's possible if I just focus on them and tune in. Um, it's their heart that's speaking to me. And I am able to receive messages that they may not be able to receive for whatever reason. Maybe they're just having this wall up, maybe they don't want to hear it, maybe they can, for whatever reason, I'm supposed to help them to understand the message that their soul is communicating with them for their path. And so far, I've been doing it now for over a year if in, in that connection with people. Uh, sometimes I do intuitive color readings on Facebook even. And people are like, how do you know that? You don't even know me. Like, you don't know me. That freaks me out. Like, it feels like you have been sitting next to me for most of my life and you know all that. And it's like, that's why I only do it when people ask me to. I'm not just sitting here and go, I'm like, oh, I see the color of this and this is what it means about your life. And this is what that, that is too personal. And so I won't go down to that level. There are different levels for how you can tune in with people. And, um, but it's been incredible so far to integrate that into my work. And it's a really special gift. And a lot of empaths have those special gifts. My husband is very in tune with nature. So when he works with herbs, he believes that when he is ready to work with a specific herb or it can benefit someone that he works with, it will show up. And most of the time, it literally just grows in our backyard. We don't spray, so everything is natural in our backyard. And he's like, where, where did that herb just come from? He's like, I don't know. I was mowing the lawn and suddenly this came up and I was like, hmm, weird. And so he sees it as a sign for him that it's time that to harvest whatever was growing and to... Um, use it and most of the time it has to do with me <laughs> it's like oh I think this is perfect for mental energy or this is for reading your dreams because I have a lot of dreams and so he just gives it to me um, most of the time but that's how he's connected to nature my son um, is very similar to my husband but he's also uh, similar to me he can also see colors um, sometimes when we ride um, in the car 
He's like, hey, Jonah, what color do you see around mommy or around daddy? And then he says it. And then I was like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. I see that too. So that means we're very much connected in the way we communicate and um, understand each other. Very impressive because he's also an empath and my husband is too. Nice. You know, uh, my mom also sees colors. And for the majority of her life, I believe until she was 50 something, she just she never told anybody because mm. she was, I guess, afraid to be, people think it was weird. And yeah, but, uh, she does. And she would always tell me like, Oh, okay. You're, you're, you should calm down or something. Yeah. And well, we're on the phone. Right. Yeah. When it comes to colors, is there a special color, something that is awesome that you like seeing in people? Do they, what do they mean? Not necessarily. The color that I see changes according to your emotional state. So if I have done a, a color reading on you an hour ago, it can be totally different uh, an hour later because it depends on where you're at emotionally and what you're able to receive um, as a message for your path. Like literally, it's, it's almost like your soul saying, hey, um, you're mind your state of mind changed a little bit you're focusing different now you need to hear this message because you can actually hear me now when you focus on this so it changes according to your emotional state and when I realized that that's when I had to learn about emotions as well but that I've been teaching and coaching around the the importance of our emotional world for a while now so especially people who take on a lot of crap from other people emotionally they have to very much understand their emotional world and what they really mean, the spiritual meaning of emotions, not just the the scientific meaning of, oh, we're feeling anger. This is how we respond. Like, no, 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 no. What is the deeper meaning of that? So when I work with people, it it can change all the time. And there's not really one that I like better or not. Um, some people are actually so close down and protect themselves so much, especially people who always are overstimulated and overloaded, the nervous system overload, they tend to build up a wall around them. So they withdraw, they don't want to connect on a hard level with people because it's very painful to do that. Um, and so that's where I would say, okay, this is what I don't really want to see. And I can say, hey, I can't access anything. I can't tune in with you because you have this big wall up. And um, I have one client, she's highly, highly intuitive. And when we work together and I'm thinking of something where I want to go with her, she's able to cut off my thoughts. It's almost like you have a, a white wall suddenly in your head. I was like, stop this. Hmm. You are cutting off my thoughts because you don't want to get to that place. And he's like, what did I do? I was like, you know exactly where I was going to go with this question, right? And he's like, yeah, kind of, but I don't want to go there. I was like, I know because you cut off my thought process and my questions are gone. And that's how, how I use it with the color too. Like every color is beautiful. Um, if it's brown, if it's gray, if it's red, if it's yellow, some people have all the rainbow around them and it also has a specific meaning for them specifically. Uh, sometimes when I tune in with them, I, I hear words or I, I see visions or dreams even. Not always, but sometimes it happens where I can say, okay, this is why I see this color around you specifically. But if I see it around someone else, it may actually go in a bit of a different direction. Mm -hmm. So you, you talked about overstimulation and I've heard you uh, before because uh, I saw some of your speeches and you talked about emotional overstimulation. Mm -hmm. What is this? 
Okay. So in our world, especially the, the more we move forward one generation after generation, we take on baggage from each former generation, each generation that was came before us has, um, baggages that they carry with them that they pass on to their children, to their grandchildren and so on. So what we've talked about, and I can, the, the story about emotions started in the 1700s with um, Rene Descartes. And he was a scientist and he wanted to study the emotional the emotions in human beings and he needed bodies for that. Uh, dead bodies in particular. So he needed permission from the Pope for that. And the, and he explained to the Pope why he needs the dead bodies for his science research. And apparently, from what we know, that the Pope said to him, well, I allow you to get those bodies to take them. However, you're not allowed to bring spirituality into the place of emotions. So from a from an intuitive way of being, we already know that emotions and spirituality are connected somehow. And he wasn't allowed to <clears throat> research that any deeper because um, it would have interfered with the church and how we are able to control people through emotions. And so he only did the scientific study. He was one of the forefathers of the modern medicine. So spirituality was always taken out of medicine, of the physical body, of our health. Just now, over the last decade, we rediscovered, well, we finally listened to the Asian medicine who already had all of that knowledge. Uh, we finally listened to those people saying, hey, there is spirit, mind, and body, like the the physical body that we have to take a look at overall to cure someone, to help someone when they feel sick. And that made me curious, like, okay, so how, how does it play a role in our society where a lot of people are being diagnosed with depression, anxiety, ADHD, um, autism. There's so many different forms of autism. We label everyone somehow. So we understand, we think we can figure people out if we label them. And for me, that wasn't enough. I was like that. I, that is not okay with me. I don't agree with that. I don't want to see that with children because we just raise sick generation after sick generation. Everyone is somehow sick because we label them that way. And so working with my clients who are very highly sensitive, it's almost like they, they have no protection around them. We all have an electromagnetic field around us. Uh, but if I get too much into explaining that, that would take too long. But we take in everything. And we know today that everything we take in, everything that we observe, our heart already knew like five seconds before our brain even understood what was going on. And our heart turns the vibration, the energy that we receive into... Um, well, it, it, it takes it from the heart to your subconscious mind where all of your thoughts and emotional experiences are being stored and it matches it with previous experiences, past experiences and categorize it like, oh, it's danger. This is how it feels. Let's put it in that category. And then um, like the, the fight or flight instinct is being ac um, activated in your conscious mind. Like, hey, it's something different. We're not used to that. What's going on? And so... It's very interesting to know that the emotion is already there before your mind and your conscious mind is understanding what's going on. And I was like, that's fascinating. So if we actually rely on our emotional experience, 
what does that mean how we interact with each other especially people who take on stuff from other people like literally feel their pain when someone feels sad you start to cry with them because you feel suddenly sad that's how how intense it is with empaths with highly sensitive people and not everyone it feels on that level but we all fear feel on some level and so I realized that the more I studied that we left out the spirituality of emotions and bringing both together means that our soul is actually already uh, communicating with us through our emotional world if we can actually identify what we feel instead of labeling them as good or bad we start to observe more. We start to reflect more instead of taking things personally. And that's why I have this, I see you. Like for me, I don't just see you because I see the colors around you, um, but I see the individual. I see what you're going through emotionally, how that relates to you and what you might have to reflect on. If you're angry, maybe you are in the process of developing something new, like children, they are angry a lot. Right? Sometimes you're like, you're a little angry machine right here. But the reason is their boundaries are being moved every single day. Every single day they have to recreate the inner boundaries and the outer boundaries and what they want to accept for themselves, what is good for them, what is in alignment with who they are as the spiritual little being. And when you go through that, you get angry. That's what anger is all about. It's you have you have to reset your boundaries. What are you not taking care of? Um, what are you ignoring about yourself? Where are you resisting growth? That's when anger usually comes in. Or where do you have to reset your boundaries because you experience growth? And knowing that I don't respond to someone who is angry, I can just, okay, how can I respond to them so I don't fuel the fire but actually can help them to reflect in a different way i don't take it personally anymore that doesn't mean that i don't get angry about things about the state of the world and i know that and i sometimes express that too there's no fault in that as long as i don't harm anyone um but it's interesting for me to see how emotions are how our world's language no matter what you speak no matter where you're from the, the spiritual understanding of emotion is the same everywhere because it's all about reflection and there's specific questions that you can ask yourself for every single emotion that you feel and everyone has a different answer to it. But at the same time, there's some common, commonality that we experience. If the world feels angry as we see now, we can pretty much reflect on it and say, uh -huh. We're seeing a shift happening. Something is happening where some people resist. Other people want to go with the flow and em embrace it. And so there is a collide right there. And we have to figure out how to, to all be okay with that shift and how we all fit in in our roles within that new understanding of society. In our case, global society. Everything becomes global. And that's where, where I... I help people understand, okay, if, if you know more about your emotional world, if you understand and distinguish as a visionary what you experience, how is that related to what you want to accomplish in this world, what your vision is for this world, your mission that you're on, we can all communicate in a much better way and a better understanding without using words. Very good, Isabel. And uh, talking about emotion, mm -hmm. I read recently that emotion originally, uh, we, we all actually right now, we all uh, hear that emotion is something 
that we can't see what people are thinking or feeling. Uh, but in reality, when emotion word, the word itself was created, it stand for energy and motion. It was yep. emotion. It was. I, I just found that recently, and I would say within the last month, and it starts to actually um, put a lot of things together that everything is energy. And then yes. when the energy is in motion, it creates those feelings in us. So, Yeah. And that also means we're all connected somehow, right? If everything is in motion, if everything is energy, we're all somehow connected. And therefore, if we have the awareness of what we feel, we don't have to know what the other person is thinking because they're already sending out the energy of their thoughts, even though we may not be able to put it into words, but we don't have to. We can just take a look at their emotional state. Here's the thing. You know, when you go into a room, you're already in it and you have fun and suddenly a person comes through the door and suddenly the room just feels really heavy and dark, like almost some demon came through that door and just put a blanket over everyone. It's like, somehow I just want to get out and get some fresh air right now. Like that's what, what we know subconsciously. We're already communicating with each other, but we're not aware of it. But when we become aware of it, we can actually say, oh, it was just that person. They might have a bad day today, so maybe either we're not responding to it, they might even start a fight or try to just to justify whatever they go through on a personal level. We're not playing with them. Like We're not getting involved in that. We're just, you know, you, you can create a distance between what's going on around you and you become the observer. When you're the observer, you become less reactive. And then just learn how to embrace life. That's right. And that's the challenge. And honestly, I, I have to, to, I mean, I'm challenged with that every single day myself, especially with the work that I do and being able to experience the whole world. It's, it's almost like I can read things and how they're going on. It affects me personally very hard. Um, like the last two weeks with, with everything that's going on socially, the discussions and, the different opinions and the extremes on all sides, it just makes it feel really heavy for me where I was at the point where it's like, I don't, there've been so many situations where I just said, okay, I don't want to do this entrepreneurship thing. It's too hard. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to, I want to do the work that I'm apparently supposed to do because it's too exhausting. <laughs> and what keeps you going? What makes you not give up? <sighs> It's that divine voice inside of me that's always keeping like, nope, you can't. And interestingly enough, every time I get to the point where I want to give up, somehow, some way, something happens. Like if it's through people that say, hey, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate your work. I really um, love what you do. You're awesome. Or sometimes it's through nature. And when I wrote my book and I wanted to give up halfway through the book because it just didn't feel right, uh, the morning that I came downstairs and I said to my husband, I'm giving up on this book. I don't think I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I don't want to do this. Um, he said, did you just feel that? I was like, no, what? I want to eat breakfast. I'm in a bad mood right now. He's like, no, 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 no. Calm down. Did you just feel that? I'm like, no, I did not. And even my son was like, uh, he was two then. And he even said, I felt it. Um, he's always been very vocal. He started talking at four months pretty much. Uh, he's like, I felt it. And so we looked outside and there were three hawks sitting on our patio railing. Three. They usually come in one and usually not in a suburban area either. They were three. And for the whole period, 
that I wrote my book, they never left my window. Like every morning they started circling where my office window is. And it was almost like they're downloading information for me that I'm supposed to put in, put in the book. And they stayed until the last day that I sent it to my editor. And after that, they left. They didn't show up again. Now, every now and then one shows up, but all three of them don't show up anymore. And you got a bunch of information, I guess, from, from that those downloads for your book? I finished the book within two weeks. Um, I asked my husband to take our son to my mother-in-law and for them to stay up there for a few days so I can just get up at four in the morning and write and just be present all throughout the, throughout the day. And I wrote it within two weeks and published it um, real fast. And now I, I actually have read it a couple of times now too. And I read it, I'm like, did I write that? Like, did I really, like, that doesn't sound familiar. I don't think I would have used that kind of words. But it, it was very profound. And that's when I always knew, okay, I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. But, <laughs> and then it's always like God saying, no, there's no but. Just keep going. Keep going. And it's with entrepreneurship. I just had a conversation with a, a friend of mine. We have a mastermind group together. And she's like, why is entrepreneurship so hard sometimes? Like, you know, I think it's because we're so trained to always measure our success on the money that we make. If you make six figures and seven figures, you're able to speak on that stage. If you make that much money, you're able to be on that awesome podcast and on this show and there and there. But you have to make the six figure first. So you have to prove somehow, some way that you're successful. And I said, you know, with the shift that's going on in our global society, what I believe is that we have to shift our purpose as entrepreneurs as well. For some of us, the 3K might be 3K in trust, not in money. Maybe our entrepreneur success is being measured in trust. Maybe it's being measured in love. Maybe it's being measured in connection. Maybe you need to have 3K connections, you know, instead of 3K money um, a week or whatever that would look like for you. But it is a, such a journey inside that entrepreneurship is no longer just about making money. It is about making impact. And that looks so different for each one of us. For me, I mean, I love making money because it is it's a great tool to have to have an even bigger impact because you can hire people and you can travel more and, and you know all those things and that's great and I'm realizing if I really focus on my success for me it's trust like I have a really hard time trusting um not trying to take control because I already feel like I'm out of control with everything that I feel and experience as a visionary as an empath but if I focus on my success being 3k trust a month instead of 3k money um the 3K money automatically comes with it. There's also, I'll find there's also a lot of pressure these days from, or for all entrepreneurs, <clears throat> pardon me, and social media, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, lack of another word, but gurus, and they yeah. go on all the social media, and they, because they are starting out, there's this um, myth, I guess, that to, get clients in you have to prove first that you are successful so you have yes. to prove that you already have you know you've seen the, the the shots of the Lamborghinis and and all this and so all the people that post this sometimes are not at that level yet but they're posting this and the ones that are just at their level 
believe in this and they figured that I am not successful and yeah. I can't do it. And I find I, that yeah. often. Yeah. For what I'm realizing, and I think that's important, especially for those who are visionaries who would consider themselves more of an introvert and don't know how to get out there and what to do. Those are the people that I work with. You can no longer measure success on what you have materialistic because that is um, external power that you're using to create the life that you apparently want. The thing is, we're having such a shift going on that is more about awareness that those, the more you are aware, the less you actually want. I, no matter how much money I make, don't want to have a big house. I rather build another house for my mother-in-law or for my sister-in-law or um, create a retreat or I rather spend a million dollars in saving some forests. I don't need a big house that is measurable to my success as an entrepreneur. I don't need a big car either. I want a car that helps the environment that doesn't use like the, the crazy amount of gas that other luxury cars might use, whatever that is, but I don't need much. We love the minimalistic. I'm, I feel great if my office would be empty. If I would just have this desk and nothing else in it, which pretty much is the case, um, I, that's when I feel free. That's when I can think and be creative. So I think the material side of success is starting to become less important. It's no longer a measurement for success. It's more about how that person feels and makes you feel that measures the success where we're coming back to emotions. But uh, it also takes a bit of, uh, you you have to realize what your success is to get to mm -hmm. that stage. Yes. Because majority of people think the success is having a million dollars in the bank. And so they will never consider themselves successful because of that. Yeah. When and then you beat yourself up, right? Because you haven't made it yet. And your divine voice inside of you says, that's not what you're supposed to measure your success on. You're not on their path. You're on your path. Can you please focus on your path? And that's where the comparison comes in. And when the comparison comes in, the jealousy comes in. And we all know the spiral down from there. Um, at some point, we give up and just withdraw because we can't seem to be able to catch up on any of the people that we admire or keep up with them. Exactly. That's the comparison that kills dreams. Yeah. And I have to admit, I, I still do it every now and then. And I catch myself like, ah, oh, I'm getting too ripped up in social media. I just had the, the face similar to that where I was like, oh, I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it. Let me step out again. <laughs> Let me take a deep breath and just step out, step out of this and get back on my path. And that's the good thing is when you can catch yourself having certain thoughts that you don't want to have. Yeah. yeah because I do that myself. And one of the things is uh, for judging. Every time that happens, I catch myself in a no, 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 you got to stop this. And that's something that uh, I hate to go back to, to refer to my mom over and over, but she always taught, taught me that, that you should never judge anybody. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I, I never listened, right? Like every... Who listens to their mom, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when you grow up and you become an, an adult, oh no, she was right. She was right. That's right. <laughs> and I think um, a lot of times it's just about acceptance too. Even, especially, okay, there, there are two sides. We have the, the money mindset coaches, right? That tell you you need to have six, seven figures. But then you also have the other side, like what you focus on, you, you create. And so we avoid the deeper feelings of pain. Like, I'm not allowed to, to feel that. I shouldn't be thinking this. I shouldn't be doing this because this is what I'm going to manifest. 
And that's not true either because we're just bottling it up. And in my case, what I teach then is when we do that, we just suppress all the emotions that want to come out. Like emotions means emovere from the Latin, emovere, emotus. And so that means free flowing, flowing through, flowing out. And if we don't allow and just respect what we experience in that moment and just say, okay, I feel fear. I'm all right. I'm able to do this or I feel sad. I'm okay. What does it mean for me? And ask the deeper questions. We no longer judge ourselves for what we feel. We have this fear of, if I think about it, I'm manifested. It's not true. If you actually suppress it, you manifest it. That's the difference. And I think that's where we're bringing all those worlds kind of together from the the, the guru manifestation to the, the guru money side and bringing it both together like, hey, just feel feel yourself through it. Your body knows exactly what you need. Your soul knows exactly your path. Just listen and learn. And uh, write it down as well. Do you believe in that? Writing it down so you can have yes. your goals? I have to admit, sometimes I'm a little lazy with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because my hand gets tired really fast. I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm just thinking it's her. But I have to admit, um, writing is really, really powerful, especially what you experience when you just write through like, oh, I feel anger. And then uh, I have this course about emotions. It's um, called The Empowered Warrior, um, How to Successfully Navigate Your Emotional World. And it's very simple. I kept it simple because, again, we all suffer from overstimulation. Um, <clears throat> short videos. And then I have a cheat sheet, like for anger. I explain a little bit on that cheat sheet what it is about. And then I said, here, those are the questions that you can ask yourself when you feel that. And it might feel like a lot of work in the beginning. It really is not, especially when you can just get in your cheat sheet, take it out and just like, oh, anger. Okay. Oh, okay, this person just stepped over their boundaries. They didn't respect what I had to say or I didn't feel respected. This is how I can work through it. And just acknowledging sometimes is all it takes. And eventually it becomes natural to you and you just are able to to just reflect on, ah, oh, okay, it's anger. I can acknowledge that. You can even experience it or envision it as a, as a person. You can say, oh, I feel fear. Well, let me put fear in front of me and have a conversation with it. What are you actually afraid of? What actions did I take that I probably shouldn't have taken? Or what actions am I supposed to take that I try to avoid? Like all those questions, you can have this, this dialogue. That doesn't mean that you're crazy, that you're bipolar. You just have this dialogue with your inner self and you can say, hey, this is what's going on. Let me write that down. Or you can journal on some of the questions, whatever shows up for you. Um, there are different ways that work differently for different people. We are all individuals. So um, I don't tell people, this is how you're supposed to do it. And this is how it works best for you. And like, no, nah. I'm just telling you what the spiritual connection is to this emotion, do their energetic vibration to the level that they're on, how it relates to your body and why we have stigmatized it in our society. And then I give you some questions that are individually the answers individually to you, where you create the awareness for yourself, how it works for you, not how I think it should work for you. And now, what is one piece of advice that you would want everybody to know? Oh, everybody. That's (laughs) interesting. Everybody, uh, do the work. I think one thing that I have realized with most people is they don't want to do the work. They love to listen to everything. They love to take in all the information. It's great but they're not willing to actually take it on and say, hey, this feels good to me. This feels like a yes. 
I'm going to trust and I'm going to do this if it's working with a coach, if it's signing up for a program, if it's applying for something, for a job, for speaking engagement, if it feels as a yes, mostly on your chest because it's related to your heart, um, do it. Don't overthink it. Don't try to figure out how to make it work. Just do it and trust that everything you need to be able to do this is provided for. Now, when it comes to books, of course, the number one is going to be the power of faith driven success. Besides <laughs> that one, what is one book that has actually influenced you? Something that people should read? Oh, that is hard to tell because I'm very bad at memorizing titles and authors. Um, I have a very selective memory in that case. Um, but one thing that I actually want to say again, besides my own book, The Power of Faith Driven Success, which is a good summary of a lot of different books, um, instead of overreading, which we try to do because every entrepreneur, every leader should read, right? We hear that every single day and then we are so overstimulated by the information that we receive by every single book. Um, pay attention and actually take a look at each book that you feel like you want to read and ask with all the questions, is it really for me? Is it part of my path? If you feel a no, don't read it. If it feels a yes, read it and take the information that you take for yourself and, and say, how does it apply for me? But I want to encourage actually people to listen to their intuition more and to channel the ideas down for themselves. Um, one story that I want to share real quick. When I wrote my book, I was afraid of copying other people's work. I, I, that's something that is always stuck in my head. I can't use other people's information. I can't um, placarize anything. Um, and so what I did for about half a year, I didn't read any books whatsoever. I solely relied on my own intuition and the soul connection that I had created by then to download the information that I knew I had to bring on paper for someone to read. I really trusted myself in that process. I didn't read any books until after I finished my book and I was like, oh, they're saying that too. Well, how did I know all those information? And it was just like, because you have access to all that you are supposed to know. It doesn't mean you're not ever supposed to, to learn, right? But um, it's more about being very selective what you put into your mind. Don't just trust everyone that says, this is the book you need to read to be successful as an entrepreneur. I have those books here, but I've never read, <laughs> I've never read them. Like, there's so many, like the, the expert um, and then Grant Cardone. And I can't get myself to read it, even though people say, you need to, you need to. I can't get myself. I'm like, all right, I'm taking that as a sign. I'm not going to. So instead of suggesting a book, I encourage everyone to trust your intuition more, to not clutter the channel between your own soul and the outside world and what you are supposed to bring across to other people. I really love that advice, Isabel, because I find myself often in that you have to read a book a day or two books a week or whatever, yeah. and then you have so much information coming in, and sometimes uh, they actually contradict themselves, certain mm -hmm. books and and then you have all that information, and now what? It's the overload. So that's why I really love that advice. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, for uh, the people listening that want to work with you and they want to find you, uh, where do they go? Yeah. Um, I especially speak to the visionaries. Those are the ones with the big ideas and don't really know how to 
get it all out because they're introverts. They rather want to just hide and feel too much and just too much going on in their world, but they have this, this big fire on their heart. Those are the ones that I work with individually. Um, and you can find more information on my website. I keep it very easy, very simple. So if anyone is interested, just literally go to my website, isabahunt.com. There's not much to do for you, not much to look, look around because it's all under work with me. Um, and you can take a look at how people are able to work with me and what capacity, what different services I offer. Um, and there's also a link to the, the emotions course if anyone is interested in that. It's on my website too, but the individual link is theempoweredwarrior.com um, if anyone is interested in that. But I keep it simple because we're already overstimulated. So anyone who already feels like the world is coming at me, rest assured, I keep things simple. <laughs> and for everybody that is listening, I have gone through Isabel's reviews and feedback and everybody that has worked with you is uh, – amazed and everybody loved working with you so thank you congratulations isabel and thank you so much for spending the time today with us and i truly enjoyed the conversation especially that we have so much in common so fun. exactly yeah so uh thank you very much and um all the best to you thank you to you as well